Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us on the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. If you haven't been with us for the past couple editions, glad you're with us this time. And we are in the midst of our six year-end specials, giving away our best, worst, and most, and many different categories uh, from the political year that was 2021. We started on Christmas Eve with most overrated, underrated, and honest political figures. Yesterday, we talked about the political figures we were most sorry to see go, uh, as well as who we thought were rising stars and figures fading into oblivion. So uh, this is our third installment. Today, we will be looking at the categories of Biggest Scandal, Best Political Theater, and Worst Political Theater. So, Jim, as usual, no shortage of nominees for Worst Scandal. Who's at the top of your list or what is at the top of your list? Yeah, this was one of the tougher categories, always competitive, always depressing. And there was one I almost went with, and I'm going to hope that it's your selection. Um, once again, listeners, Greg and I don't coordinate beforehand. We know the categories and all that stuff. So there's, if you have, so there's always a possibility we pick the same one. So usually we have a backup. I think the worst scandal of the year 2021 in a year that had so many options. The worst scandal was the outcome of the US withdrawal in Afghanistan. And as of this recording, there are still American citizens that are in the country and want to get out. There are still several thousand uh, green card holders, legal permanent residents who want to get out and who cannot, to say nothing of the tens of thousands of special immigrant visa holders who are in the country who have not cannot get out, many of whom are under direct lethal threat by the Taliban, um, President Biden, in his interview with George Stephanopoulos, said, we're going to stay until we get all those people out. And that promise was not kept. Um, there were apparently abundant warnings that the uh, Afghan government was going to collapse at some point, not necessarily foreseeing that it would happen in as rapidly as it did. But generally, there was an expectation that it was going to happen at some point. Um, the uh, military advisors said to the president that you should keep at least 2,500 people, in, uh, troops in Afghanistan. Uh, a lot of discussion about whether it would have made more sense to keep Bagram Air Base open. The uh, President Biden says he does not recall getting that advice. I, for once, the president may be telling the truth. In fact, you know, if, uh, that's, that's very disturbing on its own, not right? And perhaps he's simply lying. Um, the, I think the um, this, oh, by the way, we said we'd be, we assured the Afghan army we would keep the air support going and we would continue refueling, restocking supplies, making sure that they, you know, would still have the air support needed when they're fighting the Taliban. And then we cut that off, breaking our promise and effectively dooming the Afghan army um, against the Taliban. Uh, the stories of brutality are absolutely terrible. Listeners to this podcast know uh, most of the time my beat is campaigns and elections. I'm not a war correspondent. I've been in other countries years back in my life, but I'm not somebody who deals with this kind of stuff. A couple of my readers were over in Afghanistan. I've talked about one who I nicknamed Samaritan, who's tried to get several of his people, including a uh, green card holder out of the country. As of this recording, he's still there. Still, you know, he, he could get out, couldn't get his family out. And for obvious reasons, didn't want to leave his wife and kids back there. Um, this was one of the more difficult things I've ever had to cover in my life. And um, it probably came through in my mood in a lot of ways. It's just I'm not used to getting pictures of beheadings sent to my phone. That's what was going on over there. 
So in a long history, already this is a historic presidency. I think this is going to be seen as a black mark in American history. I think it's already embarrassment. I'm kind of the inverse of uh, Michelle Obama's famous statement. For the first time in my life, I'm not proud of my country. I think my country has done something shameful and that is going to be remembered as an um, utterly embarrassing series of decisions and excuses and lame comments uh, for include, not just from the president, but from a whole bunch of people, some in uniform, some out, trying to polish a turd and tell us that this was a success when in fact it was an abysmal failure. Yes, the US was going to have to leave Afghanistan someday. We did not have to leave it this day. And I think that is the worst scandal of 2021. I think you're absolutely right. And this really was kind of the first domino in a lot of terrible things uh, that, that led to Joe Biden losing the confidence of a vast majority of the American people. But just the, uh, whether you want to call them lies, and in certain cases, they certainly were lies. In other cases, just horrific expectations and uh, and supposed uh, expertise in some of these areas. I mean, Tony Blinken literally saying, it's not going to be like, you know, on a Friday, the Afghan government's going to be there. And on a Monday, the Taliban's going to be back in charge, which is exactly what happened. Uh, Joe Biden in uh, July saying, you have to worry about this. It's not going to be that imminent. Uh, promising to get everybody out. I mean, on and on the 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 drone strike that turned out to be a complete disaster, killing innocent people. And as far as I know, we haven't done anything against ISIS-K yet for uh, the debacle, of course, that happened outside Abbey Gate with 13 U.S. service members getting killed. Uh, it was just sheer incompetence and mendacity on uh, a staggering level that actually got the mainstream media. Uh, they couldn't hide it anymore. I remember Richard Engel basically spitting nails over there day after day after day. The American people haven't forgotten about this. The idea that once uh, the military left, well, we're out and that's a great thing and let's just move on. No, the American people are not moving on for all the reasons you just mentioned, Jim. And uh, I think that's when the eyes were really opened and they started to see that uh, Biden was not up to the job on a number of other issues as well. And it's only snowballed since there. So I think that's the obvious choice for biggest scandal of the year. But I'll I'll throw another one at you. I don't know what your other one was. So if, if it's not the, one, the other one you had in mind, feel free to, of course, Say that at the at the end of this discussion, but um, it's the border for me because uh, Biden uh, came into office literally day one, rolled back a bunch of border security measures that were working pretty darn well under the Trump administration. First of all, ended the funding for the wall, or didn't we ended construction for the wall? We we're still paying people down there to do nothing, uh, so the wall wasn't getting spruced up or or slightly extended, however you want to describe it down there. But uh, he, he said from the campaign all the way through the transition, hey, no deportations, first 100 days. Well, guess what's going to happen? Everybody floods to the border. We're not hardly sending anyone back. I think it was a couple of weeks ago now that they said uh, deportations have dropped 90% under Joe Biden, despite the fact that the surge at the border uh, is at the highest levels in at least uh, uh, 20 years. And so he canceled Remain in Mexico. The courts have forced him to re-implement it, but he's still looking for ways to not do it. Uh, they're, you know, shielding the media from seeing the humanitarian crisis there at the border. But the big deal here is that this was intentional. This is what they wanted to happen. And uh, they refused to do anything about it. Greg, that is an excellent selection. Uh, I think it says something that uh, that wasn't my number two pick. <laughs> you know, oh my God, how can I forget the border? But when you hear what my other option was, I think we'll probably have a similar sense of, oh, you know, of course you had to mention that one. Sure. Um, the Cuomo brothers. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think 
and what there are a lot of you know odd dimensions to this. I, I think a high among them, the fact that Andrew Cuomo departed office for sexual harassment, which is very wrong and very bad and definitely warranted. But it wasn't for the decision to send sick people with COVID-19 back into nursing homes. <laughs> you know, that uh, I, I suspect that Janice Dean and folks like that were happy with the outcome, but a little bit incredulous that. Uh, something that was a longstanding Cuomo habit ended up being what drove him from office and not the decision-making during the pandemic. I also think a big dynamic of this scandal is the degree to which large folks of the mainstream media embraced and celebrated and touted Andrew Cuomo, led by his brother at uh, CNN. This was always a glaring conflict of interest. When the pandemic came along, CNN kind of said, you know what, we're going to put these guys on together and they'll you know, create some laughs and everybody be okay with it. And uh, they did their Smothers Brothers, Mom Always Like You Best routine. Um, and it was cute at first. But after a while, you know, appearing on CNN was a way for Andrew Cuomo to not appear on other ones. And man, I mean, think about it, how many times Andrew Cuomo was described as, you know, the governor, the true governor, the true president, the true leader during the pandemic, et cetera, when he was in fact making terrible decisions and also was just a horrible human being all around. And so the fact that so many people chose to be blind, chose to ignore this, chose to tout someone who rather glaringly had been a bully and had been obnoxious and had been power hungry and uh, all of that is, is a really stinging indictment of our media and political culture. So yeah, the Cuomo brothers would have gotten it if it had not been for such an astonishingly terrible other stronger options in what was, in many ways, a very challenging year, Greg. Jim, I was a Chicago Bulls fan, and of course, you know they won a lot of titles back in the uh, in the '90s. And you know, you could get back-to-back championship T-shirts. Uh, you could get three-peat T-shirts back then. I believe Andrew Cuomo's nursing home scandal was my choice for this award last year. So, uh, if you if you enjoy that, you could get a Cuomo scandal back-to-back worst scandal T-shirt <laughs> from the Three Martini Lunch. So, uh, with high hopes. For uh, for 2022, you know they're gonna make they're gonna go for three. We'll see. <laughs> Neither of them are employed, so I think a three peat's gonna be hard. But uh, you never uh, know. don't underestimate them. These if, guys have determination. If anybody can do it, it's the Cuomos. All right. Well, Jim, there's no scandal in your X chair. I mean, this is uh, one of the greatest products you've ever had the chance to to try out from one of our great sponsors at the Three Martini Lunch. And uh, day after day, hour after hour, uh, the X chair never disappoints. Correct. Indeed, Greg. I, you know, maybe for a while, I may remember our sponsor, the Beersy beer machine was a little keg for your kitchen. That was pretty good. But then, you know, X chair expressed interest. And, you know, very often when a sponsor comes along, they'll offer, you know, uh, the hosts a, a chance to try out what their product is. They want us to tout it personally. They want us to be able to describe our personal experiences with them. And very often, Greg and I will have this very easy going. Oh, do you want to? I think I took the last one. I shoved Greg out of the way, <laughs> just something very metaphorically, but you know, uh, and said, No, I want that X chair. I want it now. Now, my old office chair was starting to wear out a little bit, got it to my house, uh, surprisingly easy to assemble. And let me tell you, it's just um, when your chair isn't quite right, as I think a lot of folks had when they, you know, pandemic started, started working from home, trying to do their days worth of work on their laptop at their kitchen table or something. Look, a lot of chairs are not meant for you to be sitting in for a long time. Never mind that they don't have the wheels and they don't necessarily recline or everything. The X chair does everything. It's got the vibrating, you know, massaging abilities. It can heat up, it can cool down. It can, you can adjust the armrest, the neck, everything you could possibly want. And believe me, I think you probably have this experience. If you sit in an uncomfortable chair long enough, you're going to feel it. 
sometimes for a day afterwards, two days afterwards, take care of yourself. You, you're going to have to be at your desk for a while. So you're going to want to have the X chair. It looks like something out of the space age. It's everything you could ever possibly want in an office desk chair. You will thank me later. And since we're in the holiday season, you can get a good deal on the X-Chair right now. Their offer is $100 off your X-Chair just by purchasing at xchairmartini.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. Go to xchairmartini.com and save xchairmartini.com. On to our next category, Best Political Theater of 2021. This was a little challenging. I, I kind of feel like bad theater is easier to find or, or finding political efforts at messaging or communications or things like that. It's easier to find that. But there was one that stood out and it was kind of striking. And in a way, it's kind of bad for the person who's making this communication. But uh, I think it indicates a, a something, a, a unexpected political dynamic that was hilarious at the time and I think pretty darn politically significant. Greg, if I could trouble you to play that ad now. As parents, Dorothy and I have always been involved in our kids' education. We know good schools depend on involved parents. That's why I want you to hear this from me. Glenn Youngkin's taking my words out of context. I've always valued the concerns of parents. It's why as governor, we scaled back standardized testing, expanded pre-K, and invested a billion dollars in public schools. I'm Terry McCall, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad because working together, we can give our kids the education they deserve. Yes, that was Terry McAuliffe after making that awful statement in the debate, I don't want parents telling schools what to teach. And then, you know, once Glenn Youngkin had, you know, just taken the, the fumbled football, so to speak, and ran all the way down the field and started hammering in ads, Terry McAuliffe was forced to say, look, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> I'm being taken out of context. You can hear my own words, and it sure as heck sounds like I don't want parents to tell schools what they can teach. But to what, when I said that, what I meant is I want parents to, you know, it, it's kind of hilarious. You know, the old saying in politics, if you're explaining, you're losing. I'm not always such a huge fan of that saying because there are some things in life that need to be explained. But in this case, there was something really delightful about watching Terry McAuliffe get hoist on his own petard, as they say, his own words used against him. Um, some people argue, look, I think Glenn, you know, Glenn Youngkin ran a darn good campaign, but there's also a strong argument that Terry McAuliffe uh, basically, uh, you know, basically he, he you know, made enough mistakes to really help uh, Youngkin and Youngkin made the most of them. So that was kind of hilarious. When you're running ads saying, look, I know it sounds like I said this, but I didn't really say this. That's utterly hilarious, and that's going to be my pick for best political theater of the year. Yeah, fantastic choice. Uh, mine was pretty much in that same area, uh, I would say. And I wouldn't even call it political theater, It's although you can maybe describe it that. And that's the parents showing up at the school board meetings as well, all tied into that whole fight over the schools uh, in Virginia. But that was the pivot point of the race. I think it was starting to tighten even a little bit before that. But that's the crystallized moment. Youngkin kind of needed McAuliffe to just absolutely face plant right there. Uh, McAuliffe obliged. And uh, after that, the momentum was all on Glenn Youngkin's side. And for those of us who live in Virginia, uh, thank you. Thank you, Terry McAuliffe, for doing <laughs> for making that mistake. And, and Glenn Youngkin for capitalizing on it beautifully. All right, Jim, my choice in this category uh, goes to an issue near and dear to your heart and that you have been largely vindicated on, although nobody's quite admitting it yet at an official level. And that is the origin of COVID-19. 
It's probably not the wet market. It's probably a lab leak. Very well could be unintentional, but it's probably a lab leak. Uh, and so you put forth the evidence day after day after day, making a very compelling case why that's probably exactly what happened, even though China, of course, wouldn't admit that. China wouldn't even admit that it was transmissible from human to human until long after it escaped China. But the moment that the lab leak theory really got mainstream culture traction was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, who's just uh, a silo of liberal talking points. And then Jon Stewart, his old boss at The Daily Show, comes on and just in the only how Jon Stewart can just lays it out how the only obvious explanation for this has to be the lab theory. What do you mean by Do you mean like oh, this, so perhaps a- there's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab, there's an investigation? A chance? Well, if there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's a novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they ask those scientists, they're like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab how did this happen and they're like mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle what about wait this? A second. Listen to this wait a second all right John. oh my god oh my god there's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near hershey pennsylvania what do you think happened like oh i don't know maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean or it's the chocolate factory maybe that's it and so uh jim he not just uh, laid it out he laid it out in, in a way that basically says look if you can't even see this with all this evidence i can't really help you anymore he didn't actually say that but that's basically the undertone especially once he gets to the example of uh where did all this chocolate come from near hershey pennsylvania i mean it was you couldn't have scripted it in a more entertaining and impactful way yeah, no, actually, if, if, at first, I'm glad you picked that, uh, Greg, because if I had picked it, it would have seemed uh, a little, <laughs> little, little self-promotional or, or you know, self-aggrandizing. Uh, but yeah, and, and it was, in fact, you know, watching that segment was one of one of the thrills of the year because this is still, I, I think, to this day, seen as something that uh, I mean, the polls indicate the majority of Americans actually think this. So it's no longer kind of this fringe conspiracy theory, but in certain circles, it is still considered. Um, if not crazy, then then they're quick to play. Well, it hasn't been proven yet. Well, it's going to be really, really difficult to prove this without sufficient access to China and the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the thing that kind of gets me whenever I encounter somebody who's a strong proponent for the zoonotic uh, origin or the idea of a spillo- animal spillover from a, from a wet market, which by the way, I point out, could it happen? Sure. I, I can't you know definitively uh, rule that out. And in fact, I think the the, the one nagging doubt that I still have to this day is that if there was evidence pointing to a wet market, would the Chinese government want that coming to light? Because that would still make them look pretty bad. I think the world would be yelling at, at Beijing, you have to shut down all of the wet markets now and forever. And they don't want to do that. So I think that Beijing would prefer this remain an eternal mystery. Um, John Stewart did it in a funny, crystal clear way that you could tell was making Stephen Colbert so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was absolutely delightful. Um, so yeah, the, the, uh, and from the very beginning, I, this is not, I'd like to, you know, take a bow, but, and, and yeah, I was looking into this when a few other folks were, but at the end is very, just common sense. I think it was, you know, um, uh, Richard Ebright, who's at Rutgers university made the point, like there are three labs in the world that were doing gain of function research on coronaviruses found in bats. 
and you're telling me it's a coincidence that this just happened to pop up right outside one of them? You know, from, from that moment, you look at that and you're like, okay, the odds of that are astronomical. So um, yes, thank you, John Stewart. Not words I expected to say at the beginning of the year. And I noticed Greg, he hasn't said a lot of it since then, but nonetheless, oh, no. one of the thrills of the year in that, uh, in that appearance. Yeah, well, it's like you said with the uh, anti-woke uh, liberal columnists. They're not on our side, but they're making an excellent point, and we can find some common ground on this particular issue, and that's exactly what John Stewart did there. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about comfort with our advertisers today. You can't do better than the X-Chair. You also can't do better than the fabulous products from My Pillow. whether it's the sheets, the towels, the pillows themselves, the slippers, the bathrobes, the mattress topper. They got the whole line. And uh, look, you're still in that uh, gray zone where people won't be super offended if they get something from you, especially of this high of quality within a few days of Christmas. So go ahead and do it. Uh, MyPillow makes all their stuff right here in the United States. You don't have to worry about supply chain issues. They have everything in stock, no back orders, no delayed shipping. Because the MyPillow is made 100% right here in the United States and they have built up a huge inventory, they can ensure their customers that you will have gifts for everyone. There are no supply chain issues, there are no delays, and there is no backlog. Christmas was not canceled at MyPillow. Now this holiday shopping season, maybe you got some, you wanna get some folks for New Year's or uh, you know, you got early January birthdays or anniversaries or something you wanna do. Look, they are still full stock on all items on their website. Everything from the MyPillows at their lowest price ever, to the sheets, to the slippers, to the robes, and now cardigans. They're all in stock and ready to ship fast. My Pillow is your one-stop shop for everyone on your list. So you can shop with confidence knowing you'll receive your gifts on time with no issues. Plus, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Love the slippers. They're on my feet right now. Love the towels. Love the sheets. You can't go wrong at MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com, and once you get there, click on the radio listener specials for specials like the buy one, get one free on Giza Dream Sheets or the lowest price ever on the MyPillow premiums when you use our promo code MARTINI. Or you can use that code when you call 800-874-0104. But don't miss this sale of the year. It's MyPillow.com, promo code Martini, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim. Best political theater is always fun. Worst political theater, not so much. What topped your list? Once again, much like worst scandal, a lot of uh, strong options there. But it's something happened this year. It happened almost 12 months ago, so it's understandable that it is not as fresh in the mind, but I think what happened on January 6th was a form of political theater. Uh, I think the president of the United States at the time, Donald Trump, was maniacally obsessed with this idea that he had not lost the race. He did. Uh, He was obsessed with this idea that somehow he was going to prove that there were fraudulent votes that put Joe Biden over the top. He did not. He was listening to maniacs like uh, Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell, and they're, oh, unleash the Kraken, and they kept losing in court case after court case. And then the last step in the process was an attempt of, could you intimidate Congress into not certifying the vote and going ahead with the Electoral College and uh, that they usually do? And the answer is you could not, thankfully. But there was this, and yes, the president did say peacefully in one of his comments in the speech earlier in the day. And yet when you see these crowds of people heading towards Capitol Hill, you're kind of left in this situation. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Um, It was horrifying. It was not lost tourists. It was not something harmless. 
Not only was it violent, not only did lots of people get hurt, not only were lots of people terribly frightened by the angry mobs and the chance to hang Mike Pence and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think one of the details that will forever stick in my mind are the reports of some, some idiot, some jackass, chose to smear human feces on the walls of the U.S. Capitol. Don't tell me you're standing up for America. Don't tell me you're standing up for democracy, truth, and all values, all that kind of stuff, and then do stuff like that. That is the, I wouldn't even say it's the actions of an angry kindergartner because not even kindergartners smear their feces in the walls of their classroom. Um, utterly appalling, a dark day in our country. I'm glad to see so many folks who uh, were, were arrested and detained, tracked down and then are paying the, the proper legal price for that. I don't think anyone should be making excuses for these people. I don't buy into this idea. Uh, I also don't like the idea that they were, you know, the contention they were somehow brainwashed into it. Um, the president said plenty of idiotic and false things, but also you make the choice to run through the halls of Congress and confront police officers and things like that. Uh, an appalling day in our recent history. Um, and I think uh, one that I'm, I'm perfectly happy to leave in the rearview mirror. I think um, there are some people who would, I, I think there are some people who really almost enjoy relishing it because they think it makes all of conservatism look bad by this. I would argue what happened on January 6th had nothing to do with conservatism. And I, I, you know, there's nothing conservative about trying to, oh, you know, intimidate and force lawmakers into declaring somebody the winner. Uh, and the whole, you know, kooky idea in the Eastman memo that uh, the vice president could just negate the results of the legislative branch is, is you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So uh, dark day in our history and uh, perfectly happy to leave it behind in the year to come. Yeah, as we explained that day, there was nothing that Mike Pence could have done in his constitutional role, despite what uh, President Trump said. So I thought Pence was treated very unfairly in that whole situation. And Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. So even if you get a motion going forward and every Republican gotten on, which only a fraction of them did, uh, they were never going to pass. So I think expectations uh, were set uh, far too high. But obviously, that doesn't excuse uh, the behavior uh, of those who committed the violence, committed the assaults on uh, Capitol Hill. So that's uh, clearly a uh, a major event from from 2021, to be sure. Uh, Jim, mine uh, goes back to Virginia. Smaller event, obviously. Uh, later days of the gubernatorial campaign. Uh, Glenn Youngkin is surging. A couple of polls have him ahead. And enter the Lincoln Project. These uh, grifters, uh, of course, who basically washed out the bottom of the Republican Party after 2016 and then pretended that they were... Um, principled conservatives who were uh, aligning with Democrats temporarily to uh, stop President Trump. And then they just became full-blown Democrats, but they're still branding themselves as Republicans. And so when this event that I'm about to describe happened, uh, the press uh, characterized them as anti-Trump Republicans, which is just not true. They're they're full-blown libs at this point, or at least that's who they're currently trying to siphon money from. Might be a more accurate way to put it. But nonetheless, uh, they've been following, uh, I think, Glenn Youngkin around to a couple of events. And they're, they're trying to tie him to the 2017 white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, which obviously Glenn Youngkin had absolutely nothing to do with. But nonetheless, they saw that, given the momentum that Youngkin had in the campaign, as maybe the last best chance to take him down. So they sent... A bunch of staffers. We still don't really know exactly where they were from. It appears that some of them may have been affiliated with either the Virginia Democratic Party or local branches of it. But nonetheless, they dressed up in 
khakis and white shirts and uh, tiki torches, basically trying to take on the look of those white supremacist marchers and claiming that they were fully in support of Glenn Youngkin, making it look like he was the, the choice of white supremacists. And so it took about five minutes on Twitter for this to blow up because people started recognizing uh, the people involved in the stunt as Democrats. And so uh, then they started to blame the McAuliffe campaign. So the Lincoln Project starts uh, saying, no, 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 it was us. We were expecting the media actually asked these people some questions and then they would have admitted that they were at the Lincoln Project. And so uh, a super pathetic example of damage control uh, underway. Uh, then the Lincoln Project got condemned by by Democrats for the stunt because obviously when it blows up, it looks even worse for the Democratic candidate. And so from what I hear, uh, this is redounding financially to the to the harm of the Lincoln Project, which would be a great silver lining to all this. But uh, uh, yeah, faking white supremacists endorsing your opponent does uh, pretty lousy political theater. That was an excellent selection. Uh, I think yours is more enjoyable than mine. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, this else kind of interesting is that the Lincoln Project. You know, for a little while, you and I would you know, we 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 opposed them, but we admired a certain like cynical ingenuity in how quickly these folks who had been, you know, spent their career in Republican politics and not exactly a sterling record of success, certainly at the presidential <laughs> level in these guys' careers. But they had, you know, opposed Donald Trump as more than a few Republicans uh, did and decided, well, we're going to reinvent ourselves as the most anti-Trump people in the room. Uh, and they'd run ads on the DC market on Fox News where they knew Donald Trump was going to see the ad. They counted on Trump tweeting about it and raging about it. And lo and behold, Trump bit the, took the bait every single time. So on some level, you'd be like, okay, these guys, you know, they have figured out how to play the game. And of course, they were just taking tons of money from, you know, by and large, anti-Trump uh, liberal grassroots donors across the country. People thought they were really effective, even though there was really almost no evidence that uh, the... Uh, the, the, you know, their, their ads had actually moved any votes or actually, you know, influenced anybody, but fine. You know, but this one, this was where their, you know, just ravenous hunger to be in the headlines did something enormously self-destructive, at least to the cause, the, to the cause they claim to support. I do think there's a certain argument that the only, that they, you know, people are, that should they be classified as red? Should they be classified as blue? Greg, at the end of the day, all these guys care about is green. <laughs> That's exactly right. Jim, uh, that is quite a day today. We are now halfway through our year-end specials. And tomorrow, we'll be uh, talking about the best idea, worst idea, and boldest tactic politically in 2021. So plenty to chew on there as well. See you tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Greg. See you tomorrow. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about us as well. Grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices and follow us on Twitter. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Sean Spicer joins me to explain why Biden's massive spending bill is only stopped for the moment and how Democrats will try to bring it back next year. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Sean will also explain the ugly deal-making that allows big government spending to happen, what he expects to happen in the 2022 midterms, and whether President Trump will run again in 2024. Join us. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.